0: What if our collective imaginations could shape better realities where we live? What if listening to others' stories could help us learn together as communities? What if spaces for listening, sharing and dreaming could ignite real social change?
1: Welcome to DreamSpace. Listen, share, dream.
2: Hi, thank you for joining. My name's is Rukia and I'm a member of the DreamSpace group. For this episode, I'm going to be your host, and together we are going to be exploring experiences of racism in Bath. In this episode, we will explore some of the incredibly impactful stories that were shared with DreamSpace back in October. These stories highlighted what the tough reality for people of colour is in our city. For some of us, it was a chance to reflect on our personal experiences, And for others, it was a chance to really understand the impact of racism on members of our community. Throughout this process, we encouraged people to share stories in different media formats. And most of the stories that you will hear today were captured through our online gatherings. These gatherings provided a safe space for people to share their stories and provided a space for allies to come along and listen. It is important to acknowledge that this is a difficult and often traumatic topic and we are so grateful to those who came along and shared with so much passion. There has been a shift globally in the way in which racial disparities are spoken about. This is no longer a conversation happening off the record for fear of backlash. This is a conversation happening out in the open. I truly believe that having conversations, listening to the stories, shared and recognising the experiences of members of our communities creates a space for healing, growth and change. Hopefully this episode will be an opportunity for you to learn something or confront an uncomfortable topic or maybe this episode will allow you to realise that you're not alone if you've also experienced racism in Bath and with that I invite you to listen to a selection of incredibly impactful stories. After hearing the first few I'll meet you again in the middle for a quick reflection and a break, and then again at the end to recap and update you on what's coming up for DreamSpace in 2021. I hope you're ready. Here are our first few stories.
1: You're listening to DreamSpace.
3: Um. Yeah, so as Grace said, you know, thank you Rakia, and DreamSpace, thank you for setting us up and organizing it and keeping the conversation and the momentum going you know because I think for a lot of people it's really slowed down you know and the, the social media slowed down and the things aren't getting shared as much and it's really positive and it's fantastic to see you know this conversation still happening so yeah thank you and big up like yeah massive thank you um so yeah uh my name's Jake um I'm a graphic designer illustrator and um special needs uh, ed- teaching assistant um, I'm also uh, an American football coach and head coach of the Bass Bar American football team um, which is how I'm connected to Bath and currently living in Cardiff due to COVID. <laughs> um, so I just say I'm going to talk through my story and um, you know before I do that I just you know say that um, I'm aware you know I carry certain privileges as a cisgender straight man who's you know someone who's mixed race with light skin you know i um, aware of that so i'll just get into my experiences you know um so my story you know starts a long time ago before i was born and uh, you'll understand why i'm including this but my story starts in benin west africa where uh, my ancestors originate from and this is where they were taken by the british to barbados and to be slaves on plantations my grandfather osniel who still lives in barbados um served this country in the RAF and was also a mental health nurse work worker here um my uh, my dad's an artist and a teacher uh, my mum is a nurse and I grew up in Cornwall in the southwest um don't worry if you don't know where Los Vizial is um no one does it has one traffic light in the entire town and no one's ever heard of it um there are a few people in the village um coming from Cornwall a few people that like never spoke to my family and um and you know and uh, things like this often occurred whether it was um, being told by my teachers to cut my afro um because you know it was a hazard around school and you know things like that kept occurring um so when I moved to Bath in 2015 for university, I had to, like this really naive enthusiasm that you know things like that would just stop and like I wouldn't have it anymore. I was like, oh, it's Cornwall's southwest enough, like that won't happen in Bath. And then you know, as I you know, I had the unwanted grabbing of my hair, the what are you and the where are you really from that kept happening and I found myself hating university life. And when I reached out to the support there, the only advice I really had was to leave and drop out. And I never really had anything more than that. And so that's what I did. Um, but I decided to stay in Bath and uh, I joined the workforce in Bath and was employed by a local graphic design and signage company. And at the start of my time there, I'd recently left university and I was away with friends who still studied there. And um, when we got onto a conversation about race, um, I was told to shut up because I'm only mixed race. And that's why I mentioned my ancestry er earlier. Um, And it's something that carried over. So whilst I worked at this company, um, well-known signage company, they were often referring to me as worker monkey or monkey. And, you know, I'd have grown men attempting to try and play with my hair as I worked and tried to be a professional, trying to stick pencils and pens in it. And um, when I called out to my boss, I was told that I was like overreacting and that, you know, these aren't racist remarks. But after a while, I found like, the courage and I made a formal complaint about it. And these people were warned. But then not many people liked working with me after that. And I was the problem, apparently. Uh, not for sympathy, I not know, after that. <laughs> but to add to... Um, the part of my life the manager also was around and he enjoyed showing his time at halloween where he decided to go in blackface for his halloween party which he thought and everyone else thought was absolutely hilarious um but uh yeah uh yeah they work with many large companies in bath and uh i know for a fact that they will never see the consequences for the pain that you know they put me through and the lack of understanding and empathy that they showed and i know that management there really won't ever face repercussions for it so yeah that was kind of a quick version of the story that I told at the BLM protest in Bath earlier this year but I just wanted to kind of demonstrate how exhausting and throughout each stage in a person's life they can go through these things and whether it's from school to university to the workplace and these things these subtle jabs these like hurtful comments these actions are there constantly um i was briefly a member of the Bass acs when they first started before dropping out and i realized that you know everyone has these stories and they keep coming up and it's not just you, I, I i thought for ages that uh, oh it's just a it's a it's a me problem and and then realizing that it's far more prevalent than i really ever imagined from uh being called the n-word on a bus full of white students who laughed to taxis refusing to take students home because they're black in bath it's something that is really worrying and really really apparent the closer you look at it um so i just hope everyone feels encouraged like it's okay to speak up you know and try and push for change and we well i'm glad we're still doing that now and i hope we can keep the momentum up and it was a pleasure to work with rakia and grace um during that protest and organizing it. And yeah, thank you to you guys for always keeping it up.
4: Um, Hi, everyone, I'm Ella. Um, I'm from London and I study um, here in Bath um, at Bath University. Um, I, yeah, earlier this year with like the rise um, in the Black Lives Matter movement, it kind of made me reflect on all of my um, experiences and it's kind of interesting um well yeah also like i understand i'm coming from a place of privilege being mixed race um so i guess lots of my experiences are more um like microaggressions um yeah and i guess not as um uh well yeah anyways um (laughs) but yeah i guess yeah i was privileged to kind of um sorry i'm a bit nervous but um um yeah like when i was reflecting it was kind of interesting because there's lots of um occasions and events that i at the time i didn't really see as like racist or racism and like lots of things were brushed off um And yeah, some things also, I guess other people have spoken about today, but anyway, I made a list at the time um, and I guess it kind of is a poem. Um, So I'm gonna share that with you now. I've been called yellow on numerous occasions as if I would fit in more amongst the Simpsons family than my own. I've been called green. I've been called half-caste. I've been the token black friend and the, OMG, you're my first black friend, friend. despite the fact that I'm mixed. I've been the token diverse poster girl and I've had my image used non-consensually to front a brand with a history of anti-blackness as inclusive whilst I'm being exploited. This constant tokenization shows how so many people don't see you as a person, but instead as just a color. I've been the only girl in a room full of whites that none of the boys were interested in and failed to acknowledge even once. But on the flip side, I have received disgusting amounts of unwanted sexual attention and harassment. I've been so uncomfortable in my own skin due to being this mystical lighty. I've, to, I've been told I can't take my Afro comb into a club and had it confiscated because it could be a weapon. I've been asked by non-Blacks for permission to say the N-word, but surely if you're having to call it the N-word, you already know it's a word that shouldn't be said. I've been asked permission to guess my mix. I've then received shocked reactions and heard, no way, I thought your dad would be the Black one, too many times to count, because apparently it's so surprising that a white man can love a Black woman. I've been asked permission to touch my hair and that's if I'm lucky. I've been focused on my work while they've been sticking pens in my afro, seeing how many will fit before I notice. I've been told, wow, your hair grows so fast after getting braids. I'm being told, cool, that was brave after taking my braids out. Then being told I'm a fraud when I explained it wasn't my actual hair. I've been asked how is your skin that colour whilst abroad and have been spoken to into Chewa because when I said I was half black they thought it meant I could understand. I've been told we're the same now by whites returning from holiday or the bathroom after a fake tan. I've not been seen as black, I've not been seen as white. I've been too black for the white people but too white for the black people.
5: Um, So I'll just start speaking about my experience. Like It was really eye-opening to hear everyone's stories and everything because I'm not from the UK, I'm from Singapore. And usually when I say that to people, they're just like, oh, you don't look Singaporean. Because when you think of Singapore, you think of... um, a typical like chinese looking person and that is because they are the majority of people in singapore and i just want to speak about my um life of being a third culture kid so i'm sorry i'm a bit nervous i don't usually speak about this to like to people i'm not friends with but yeah so um it was quite different coming to the uk um 3 years ago because People would ask me where I was from and be like, oh, you're so exotic, your name's so different. And at first, I'll be like, oh, it's because you're so interested in my background. But it wasn't because of that. Um, growing up in Singapore and Malaysia, there was a celebration of diversity because there's three major um, ethnicities there. There's Indians, Malays and Chinese. And everyone would accept you, even though there is still systemic racism in there in the societies there. and um, like it's still a colorist community um, darker skin or tan skin like if you just look a little bit different you get treated differently and unfortunately that's how it is and coming to the UK actually like coming to Bath I felt it a lot more I felt the racism people looking at me differently and I don't look that much different I'm not I like I'm tan I'm not that dark I do have curly hair but it's not like 4C or something like that and like being me and feeling that I could only imagine what other people of color actually feel. And I only realized that coming above, whereas like going to London, for um, example, I felt a lot more included. I felt like seeing people who look like me, seeing people like the diversity there, it was amazing. So it was quite shocking coming here and being Arab as well. I would say, say that to people and they'll just bring up a terrorist joke usually most of the times. And I would just be like, haha, yeah, so funny. But I just didn't know how to respond to that because growing up, I've never had to deal with it because people were more accepting. And it was mostly the white people who would do that because, I don't know, there's probably a lack of representation in Bath. And it's just nice to see that there are other people who go through this as well. And it's not just me. So, yeah, thank you for all your stories as well.
1: You're listening to Dream Space. What are you dreaming for the future?
6: Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, um, awesome. Thank you so much for, yeah, just putting this together. It's incredible and there's, um, I can see some really familiar faces, so it's really nice too. Um, so my name's Mark Delissa and I'm a youth mentor and a poet um, and I live in Bath. I'm not originally from Bath. I grew up in North West London and it wasn't until I came to Bath, I think, that I, um, Became quite aware of my race. I was made aware of my race, I think, um, which was quite shocking for me because um, it was never something that I really had to heavily identify with back home. Uh, I say back home, Bath's my home now, but back in London. Um, so, yeah, that was something I had to, a hard truth for me when I first moved to Bath. Um, and then luckily, um, I ended up working and getting really close with an organization, the Black Families Education Sport Group, which uh, is an amazing organization that still goes, is still doing work today. And so that was, that was incredible. And I got to work with some really incredible young people. And, and so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read an article that I was asked to write sort of in response to uh, the Black Lives Matter protest by uh, Mentoring Plus, who I now work for now. And it was on their um, inspiring young lives blogs, uh, blog. So I'm going to just read that. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Okay. So the article is called Where Are You Really From? But where are you really from? I've almost lost count of the amount of times I've been asked this question. Northwest London. But you can't really be from Northwest London. Why not? I reply. Because you're black. I saw the frustration and the anger bubbling up. I have a flash to an alternate reality where I open the floodgates and years and years of dealing with this kind of ignorance come pouring out of my mouth in a verbal assault. I see myself standing on the table, fist held high in the air schooling them about the Windrush scandal, Britain's involvement in the transatlantic slave trade and the truth about its colonial history, all to the soundtrack of Still Pulse, Peter Tosh and The Clash. What do you mean you've never heard of Zadie Smith, Benjamin Zephaniah or Akala? Then I take a deep deep breath and I look at the person asking the question. I see the genuine look of interest tinged with a slight confusion on the face of the elderly man, the 12 year old boy. My ex-girlfriend's dad and I swallow it down again. I've had the absolute pleasure and privilege of working with many BME young people in Bath. And I can assure you that these experiences are not unique to myself. In a city where people from the black and minority ethnic backgrounds make up around 6% of the population, it's pretty commonplace to be asked, where are you really from? And it's also common to be followed around a shop by a security guard. Microaggressions are, common, are a common occurrence for most BME young people living in Bath. Can I touch your hair you're pretty for a black girl you don't you don't sound black you must love chicken I'd love mixed race babies can I say the n-word all these things have been said to the young people that I've worked with they may seem like innocent statements some even humorous but these subtle and insidious forms of racial stereotyping have huge effects on the mental well-being of our BME young people many of these kind of things are said by friends at a time in our lives when all we really want to do is fit in it's easier to laugh them off and hide the pain that they cause. And I can relate to that. Equally in conversations about race, I've regularly heard things like, I don't see colour. The intention is inclusive, but this reality, but this reality is what, but this reality denies the experience of people who feel that their colour and identity matter. And that it impacts on not only how they experience the world, but how the world experiences them. So I often find myself wondering what impact, always being seen as the other. Is having on our BME young people. To know that you are three times more likely to be permanently excluded from school because of the colour of your skin. To have the constant awareness that people who share the similar heritage of you make up around 26% of the prison population, but only around 13% of the general population. The fear of knowing that if you're a black woman, you are much more likely to die from complications surrounding pregnancy and childbirth than a white woman. These are really hard truths if we all want to make reality better for BME young people today, we must acknowledge them before we can begin to change them. It's been 72 years since the men and women from the Caribbean stepped off the wind rush in Essex with the dreams of starting a new life in Britain. And they were faced with signs missing no dogs, no Irish and no blacks when they were trying to rent rooms. Daily racist abuse and regular violence. It feels hard to believe that in 2020 their grandchildren are still having to remind us that their lives matter too. But this is where we are. The Black Lives Matter protests here in the UK have allowed us to open up the conversation about racism in this country. And they've given a platform to black voices who previously felt like they were shouting into the wind. They have given people from black, white and all backgrounds a chance to come together and show their disgust at the ingrained racism within our institutions that has created such inequality in our society. There is now a chance for us to truly address these inequalities and to create safe and supportive spaces for these difficult conversations. I'm not alone in believing this begins in our schools and with education. And there has been some positive movements happening locally creating last, locally to create lasting change. In an open letter to local schools, parents demanded changes to the curriculum to include more information for children on racism and slavery, as well as dropping the name of a slave owner from the schoolhouse. Hundreds of ex-people from another school in Bath have urged the school to improve its racial education and teach more about racial diversity, systemic racism, and black history. These can only be steps in the right direction. Rather than continuing to turn away, it seems that collectively, now we are ready to face the ugly bits of Britain's history and the impact they're still having on the BME communities today. As Maya Angelou beautifully said, you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. So my hope is that BME young people will begin to feel safe, valued and heard, and will no longer have to deal with the everyday racism and microaggressions that are still prevalent in our society today. Maybe one day they won't have to explain where they are really from, because maybe one day the question won't be asked anymore. Thank you.
7: Thank you. I'm very ready. So I'm almost. I'm like taking notes of some of the stuff people are saying as well, because I really want to like think back and reflect um, on this uh, when we come back. And I guess what I wanted to talk about was, first I was gonna say like my poem that I wrote during the whole Black Lives Matter movement, just like, you know, when you have a sense of anger of like fighting the same battles over and again, because for me, it was very shocking in that I fought for things, for over two years, I fought for things like a culturally appropriate support at. Uh, university, And for those two years, I was made to feel, sorry, I felt as if I was crazy for asking that when somebody is racist to you, you should have a black person to talk to about it. Like sitting there across the room with a white wellbeing ambassador or the one um, BAME person who to talk to it isn't the same as sitting across the room with another black woman and talking about how this experience has changed you. Um, so, um, so for me, like it was shocking, for because suddenly a room, I felt thought I was crazy. Suddenly, I was now leading and consulting, and I was, you know, a voice for the black community, and it was just like jarring, a very jarring experience, because you go, you go from like, it's like you know when you're in the shower and suddenly you go for, you accidentally hit the shower head and it's like really, really hot or really, really cold. It was kind of like that. And it was just like the journey I've taken to kind of get used to the idea that there's a massive cultural shift that's happened and people are starting to kind of be receptive because to be silent, to be complicit now, it's no longer, oh, well, I don't see color. It's, well, if you're silent and if you're not actively anti-racist, then, you know (laughs) you are racist and and I thought that was really interesting so this is the poem that I wrote which is called um whiteness and it goes whiteness walks into a room and says that's not racist I don't see color I have friends who look like you then whiteness says you aren't being warm enough whiteness always wants you warm enough. Like you don't have reasons to be cold sometimes. Like you don't have reasons to cry sometimes. And you look tired. Like you are tired of talk and lip service and meetings and meetings and meetings where no one does anything. White nurse walks into the room and says, To do anything, we need more time. We need your grandmother's time, your mother's time, your time, whiteness always wants more time. Like you haven't given them enough time. And now when whiteness walks into the room, you wonder. You wonder what it's like to feel safe. And then you wonder what it's like to feel kindness against the skin. And then you wonder. But to wonder is not to be warm enough. And whiteness always wants you warm enough. Like you don't have reasons to be cold sometimes. Like you don't have reasons to cry sometimes. And you look tired. Yeah, that's the poem that I I wrote when I was very, very angry at the world and I was tired of repeating myself and the same stories about everything because the research has been done everything that can be said about the black experience has been done and now I feel like I think when I wrote that poem I was so angry because I was like what more can black students staff the community give people to do to actually do some actions and to change not just you know, structural issues, but systematic and address it by changing the culture, by making an an active decision to change the culture and have a stance on it. Because sometimes when I sit there and everybody's like, oh, people are not ready. Oh, you know, there's lots of stuff going on in the world. And for a lot of us, it's like, I'm Black all of the time. I don't get a chance to be like, well, I'm not ready to deal with this right now. No, I'm black all of the time and I have to deal with all the things that are going on in the world, as well as racism. So I guess when I, I guess to conclude in my thoughts and my feelings, and I guess for me, the space was more of just, Mm -hmm. the research has been done. All that has been said and done has been done. Like what more does the community want from Black people, like, what more can we give to about the experience, like, we know what it's like, and it sucks, and all that's left is for white people to do something, change your culture, read books about it, read the research, do your best to educate yourself, and pay Black people for their time, picking our brains for free, I'm sorry, but my, I'm not. Why would we want to traumatize ourselves just to educate somebody and handhold them through something that they can educate themselves on? And I think once I've started kind of setting my own boundaries and asking people when they ask for my time to be paid for my time, and also requesting things like culturally appropriate support and being able to access that because I campaigned so hard for that, is is good. I feel so much better that the world is changing now that I have access to culturally appropriate support and also being paid for my time to consult people on how they can change their culture and embrace everyone, not just people that look like them.
1: You're listening to Dream Space. What are you dreaming for the future?
2: Welcome back. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to just listen. The stories we have heard so far have been incredibly hard-hitting and I think it's so important to take time to reflect and really absorb what we've heard. We would love to hear from you and how you feel after listening to these stories. If you'd like to share something, whether it's something you've realised that you weren't aware of before or how this episode has impacted you, Please share your thoughts using the hashtag DreamSpaceBath so we can keep this conversation going. By joining us on this journey so far, I've hoped you've realised the power of stories and community. And by keeping this project alive, using your help of course, this will provide a chance for more stories to emerge and hopefully together, we will be able to tackle some of the key challenges that the most vulnerable members of our community are facing. So we're now gonna go into the second selection of stories and then I will meet you again at the end.
8: So yeah, um I was gonna just share um a poem I wrote um during like the Black Lives Matter marches and stuff. Um it's so interesting actually, me being here because I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna come and support my friend, my girl Akia, you know. <laughs> but um I always find these kind of spaces very interesting and to be in because I mean Rochelle pointed out um, having to come and sit and listen to people's stories, I don't know if it's the most healthy thing to do. Um, sorry I, I didn't introduce myself, my name is Moira, um, I am I live here in Bath, I've lived here in Bath for six, seven years now and my um, study at Bristol Uni, I study neuroscience, So um, I'm massively um, interested in trauma and trauma, and I'm hoping to go on to do research with black people, um, children and trauma. And yeah, so I'm always very interested in coming to spaces like this and noting how people have to, especially black people, um, have to constantly relive and have conversations about things that they've gone through over and over again. Um, I always find it intriguing how, if it was in any other situation, you know, if we're talking about, um, not to be too graphic, like someone who's gone through a rape situation or just something very traumatic, it's not something we would force them to constantly talk about, but racism is the one thing where you have to constantly share and constantly be the educator to those um, around you. yeah, so I always find that very interesting. Um I my very first experience of racism was when I moved to the UK. I was nine. And um I mean, I don't really have to go into a lot of details, but what I'm always, what really I'm always what one thing that always is highlighted to me is the fact that um I feel like the biggest fuel to racism in many places and many environments is the silence of those who don't react um, to it. Um, I, My first experience of racism was by a white man. I was in a bus and I was nine. And I just remember sitting there. It was literally the first time I had gone on a bus on my own without my mom. I just remember sitting there and looking at everyone around me and just how everyone decided to ignore me at that moment and kind of pretend like they didn't hear or see what happened. Um, I was especially intrigued by the women because um, in the culture I'm from and growing up in Nigeria, everyone is, you're a protector of children. So just being in that moment, feeling very alone and lonely and it was like, okay, so no one's gonna say anything. No one's gonna defend a child in this situation. And um, yeah, so from that moment, I've always known and I believe that racism is always fueled by silence. I think silence is the greatest um, enabler. And, um, yeah, so, but um, just apart from racism and um, overt racism, I think um, institutional racism isn't a thing that is um, talked about, a conversation that is talked about a lot. Um, I can talk about in the sense of how, like, um, institutional racism has affected me. So I'm, I've lived in the UK for eight years. Um, I've worked in the NHS for three Three years now. Um, my sister is working there in the NHS, my dad works in the NHS. Um, but one thing you will notice um, I, I still have to pay NHS fees. So those are things that people never talk about. So I pay £650 a year to, um, to the NHS. If not, I cannot access um, healthcare. And when everybody's like, oh, NHS is free, NHS is free. And I'm like, oh no, it's free for some people. It's not free for all of us, you know? There, there are many conversations that aren't brought about. Um, I work in the NHS and I was trained, but I remember being people being trained and they're trained how to look for nerves and how to take blood. And I'm like, there's no black pictures. Like nobody, you can't look at a blue vein or a green vein. I'm like, I don't have a blue or green vein that you can see, you know? Um, we're not educating our health care professionals. Um, another thing was, um, I'm currently in a situation where I study at Bristol Uni, um, but I'm counted as an international student because um, to be allowed to become a British citizen, I have to be here for um, 10, 11 years, while I have a friend who um, has only lived here who came from South Africa, but she's a white South African. She only needs to be here for um 5 years and she can get an ancestral visa you know so that's her white privilege that she's she's african but she's a white south african or um i have a friend who's polish she only needed to be here for 2 years and she straight away got into uni got funding but um i mean i've lived here for 8 years and i have to pay 24 grand a year to the uni to study and so i'm having to work part um almost full time and study full time which is which is a really hard thing to do at this moment, but um, these are just some of the challenges um, I think that um, isn't shared and isn't um, amplified because because when it comes to overt racism, a lot of the times because um, a lot of Black people have experienced it so often, it, it's kind of a thing we can deal with, but the um, but the institutionalized racism um, those are things that. Are beyond your power. Those are things that um affect your every day to day that um that isn't really something that's seen, that's kind of hidden. Um more recently, um I was involved with um, I have a brother who was involved with working with Bath Abbey, and they're trying to do some work to reveal and show um how the slave history of Bath and um, reading the stories of how Bath is literally built on money from basically slave owners and people who were after they released all their slaves they had to um they were paid reparations up until 2000 I think Bath in particular was like 2000 and either 13 or 15 but um it's just so interesting to hear that I can walk about and be like oh my gosh this particular building was built by this family who got money from this particular um, event and so it's really really been interesting to read that but also um, I think this is such an amazing time um, for the allies to really step up. Because when I talk about the whole thing about silences, I don't really believe racism can change without. I feel like racism will change when the allies and the white people, of the society change. Because it's it's only those who create the culture that have the power to really change and affect the culture. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, so I was just going to quickly read a poem I wrote um, that, uh, it's a really short poem, but I've been, sorry, I'm not like a poet <laughs> or not a good good one anyway, but um, yeah, I just, it's a really short poem, but I'll just read it. Um, okay, it says, written in history's memory is the pain our fathers suffered the shame they were made to feel, the burdens made to carry, the futures made to bury, and in all this, dehumanized before their sons. In the wokeness of today is the hope we've held inside us, the walls they built around us, the names were called in silence, not. I have always imagined what a world of justice and peace and love and light would look like. Man, that sounds like heaven. But soon enough, I have to come back down again to where my body is grounded, just as my ancestors are ground dead, six feet under, below stones and skylines named after their slave masters. Even in death, they still carry the weight of the slave masters. There were futures and visions of ours. They tried to wrap up in chains and trade for nothing. Y'all, there were futures and visions of ours. They tried to wrap up in chains and trade for nothing. But our visions were not rooted in fear or crippled by the godless disbelief of our humanity. Our visions are birthed and rebirthed with every new melanated breath. All because you cannot kill hope while we still stand. So yeah, um, that's just the phone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was just going to end with the fact that um, there is still hope. And while we're all still here, we can definitely change and create the future that we want to see. So Yeah. Thanks for allowing me to share with you.
9: Cool, Um, so hi everyone. I'm 22 and I'm from the Bath area. Um, I grew up there, went to school there and I really love the city. It definitely has a bit of a special place in my heart. Um, So I had the privilege of working with Rikia and Eva and a few others I'm sure um, at Dream Space because we all put on the Black Lives Matter demonstration as Rikia mentioned back in June, which was amazing. Um, And as you know, like worldwide demonstrations have really sparked conversation around race over the few months. Um, I think people often think about race as a taboo subject because when you actually deep it and when you really think about it, in, in my opinion, it's not race, which is awkward to discuss. It's more the narrow stereotypes that people have like subconsciously had ingrained, which make people think using the word black or mixed race and so on is an insult, which it definitely isn't. But I think sometimes people are scared to use the words. Um, but events like this are super important and when I hear that DreamSpace had to increase their capacity this evening to let everyone join, um, it just makes me feel so relieved that all these global efforts are really working and starting to make a difference. So um, before I go on, I just wanted to say thank you so much to DreamSpace for putting on this event, Rikia, Ever, Ever, the whole team, I know you put in so much hard work and your efforts, your relentlessness and everything is greatly appreciated by so many to hear our voices. So I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone when I say thank you so much. Um, So I'm gonna read a short reading, um, which I have specifically written for tonight. So I hope you can enjoy it and hopefully take something away from it, even if it's something small, Um, but please be kind. I'm not really a writer, (laughs) but um, I hope this leaves an impact with you this evening. My blackness is not a weakness, nor do my experiences wave a flag of victimhood. The color of my skin is not a conversation starter, nor is my hair an invitation to be touched. When you think of Black Lives Matter, black power and black voices, do you think of unnecessary conversations and needless tension? Or do you hear the pent up cry for justice and people's rightful needs for their stories to be heard? Well, if you sparked up at needless tension, the rest of this reading is for you. You see, my blackness is not a weakness, but yet it's something that needs to be seen. Our movements aren't a call for overcompensation, nor a sympathetic empty promise. No, our stories are to be told to educate and enrich those who don't yet understand, and a vow that we won't stand by and watch oppression continue before our eyes. My blackness is not a weakness and speaking on inequality makes me strong. It's a strength that shouldn't be needed, but what other choice do we have? I'm not expecting to be understood, given a free pass or to tick a box, but I am expecting to be listened to and my attentions not to be questioned. Understand that my blackness is not a weakness, but it is something that's often brought up. Recently, I was asked to prove it, give examples, if you will. It was there when I went to school and in history, I was repeatedly called a wench, to which at the time I would laugh at. It was there on my Tinder profile when every other message was hello, chocolate skin. It was there when people would often call me the whitest black girl that they knew. And specifically once more, don't bring it to our city. This was a comment on an article ahead of our Black Lives Matter peaceful demonstration. Our city, you say, well, it's my city too. You see, as a flippant comment to you, these might not mean that much. But when I'm told that black people talk about race so much, you can see why that might make me displeased. No, my blackness is not a weakness, though something I haven't gone a few days without being reminded of. And make no mistake, for this I am proud, but my blackness should not be at the hands for others to tell me who I am. So please listen when I tell you that we're not doing this for anything but lawful change in a mindset that has been ingrained for too long. I'd be lying if I said that I think these marks are always made with a hurtful intent, but that doesn't take away the damage that in me is yet to be repaired. And while I hope one day they are, I don't speak out for that. I want my children to be born into a place where opportunity is equal for all, for our systems to protect and the color of your skin to not hinder this, and for justice, nothing else to be brought to those and the families who deserve it. So while you listen to our stories, whether you relate to each or not, please hear our calls for justice and implement change beside us. Thank you.
10: Okay, wonderful, hello. Um, Yeah, so this poem that I wanted to share with you all, oh, by the way, I'm a Black American. Um, I saw the event online and I really was just, I was really excited to just share stories with you all and hear you all stories. And I guess kind of connect with that, I guess, general black experience or person of color experience that we often all deal with, um, the struggles and all, um, so yeah, this poem that I'm sharing, um, about systematic racism and, uh, police brutality. All right, it is hard for me to focus on myself, when the world around me is burning and dying a slow, torturous, silent death, with all mankind fearfully maintaining a six-foot distance from each other. We can't hear each other's last words from behind the mask at this distance, but they keep us feeling a little safer in our last moments. I guess they succeeded with silencing us. Oh my people, my distant siblings are being battered, beaten, baked, burned and brought back to life from the dead in the form of fabricated fables formatted to feed the feeble-minded foes that enforce our American society. They fixate on the fiction to help them rest easy. They say things like, these people deserve it. They shouldn't have resisted. They shouldn't have been out so late. They shouldn't have been looking so suspicious in my neighborhood and Better them than me, better them than me, better them than me. Have you ever heard of the story of the last angel that wanted to play God and all of his friends who followed? Well, if you keep dictating who deserves to die and who has served, seduced, and sucked off enough CEOs successfully silent enough to survive, you will then find yourself infinitely chained in the ominous realm of souls that have been ordained to be tortured for all that they have slain. Yeah, I haven't been able to focus on myself much lately. There's nothing to protect these beautiful brown skins from the bullets that have been brilliantly magnetized to our various earth-based shades from birth by the blacksmiths of this country's judicial system. But you know, there's a little legend that lives under black tongues that cash is the antidote that if the cash stacks are thick enough and the accounts are strong enough, we'll be shielded from all stolen. Some of us buy so wastefully so that you see value when you see us because we know that our hearts, our dreams, our souls, our livelihoods are all wrapped in these dark skin tones that have been deemed dangerous. But at least you'll see labels on our feet before they're replaced with toe tags. And the legend also sits in the hearts of children that with enough cash, they could build tall fortresses sky high with big moats that you'll need a big money boat to bust through. And it'll be far away from all the cute little accidental racial slurs. Yeah, these are legends, but at the same time, we know that if we dress comfortable, casual, and cost efficient with just one look, we're all just worthless creatures of the night that could easily be swept under a rug after being crushed under your boots, your knees, your several warning shots and silly little white lies. We wear silver and diamonds on our teeth so you see something precious in our smile and won't be so quick to dim something sweet. And there's a legend that lives in the lungs of the old Negro souls, that education is the key, that the degrees will set us free, that a good piece of paper will prepare us a prosperous future and will wipe away our past and protect us from all the casualties that come with the culture. They say that pretty little piece of paper will place us in tall palace-like properties with offices and neckties that'll protect us, but only give the murderers an easier opportunity to lynch us up close and personal. So I'm here to tell you right now, forget a tie, forget your feelings and forget your friends. Now is not the time to be neutral. Um, so yeah there's that poem it's mainly just to really drive the point home that black lives are very much in danger and there's nothing that can protect us or shield us except for systematic change um yeah there's nothing we can do we cannot just you know spend all this time trying to buy more things get better houses move to the suburbs like there's nothing we could do besides demand that politicians, put more things in force. They enforce more things to protect us. And yeah, that's, I feel like that's a nationwide thing. That's a global thing for just brown skins and dark, darker pigments um, worldwide. So yeah, thank you.
1: You're listening to Dream Space.
11: Wicked, okay, thank you so much um, for this event. My friend actually shared it on Twitter. And I was like, yep, that's right up my street because I'm honestly sick and tired of hearing these stories. They've just been going on for far too long. So just a bit of a background. And I'm of Somali origin, um, but I was born in, in Cardiff in Wales. And yeah, honestly, Privilege Cafe. Um, I opened it during lockdown um, because I like I I've just honestly, I would, first of all, I was just bored. <laughs> but I was sick and tired of just these spaces where I felt as a Somali woman in, in Wales in Cardiff. We've been here for 400 years and we've been talking about the same issues racism or not and this lack of representation not just offline but now it was online and all these white zooms I was on I was thinking where am I going wrong why am I on all these white zooms and everyone's calling me aggressive everyone's saying My, you're an ABW I'm like what's an ABW angry black woman I'm like right okay I'm honestly sick and tired of, I'm not an ABW and I'm not BAME and I'm not BME I'm an individual person but yeah um, Privilege Cafe is an online virtual space where people come together just to discuss those really difficult issues for lots of white people. Um, but I didn't call it the white privilege cafe on purpose because no one would turn up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been running it since, like I said, April. I think I've done about 27 sessions every week, different topic, different themes. Um, but yeah, listening to everyone else's pieces, I'm has been amazing. And it's really inspired me to like, I was, I'm actually super nervous to be honest with you, even though I'm like a very open bubbly person, but yeah, um, I just want to share this piece with you guys because yeah, like I said, I'm tired. Lots of other Black people, people of colour. I'm not even sure what we're called anymore. Like, I'm honestly sick and tired of these acronyms. Like, I wasn't informed when BME got changed from B-, B to BAME. Was anyone else informed? Because I wasn't. Honestly, I'm just sick, like, and tired of all these things that are put on us as people of colour. And like, the dominant culture are never—they never face these issues. So how ironic is it that you make acronyms that take away identity, but yeah, you never face the impacts of it. Wow. Okay. So people can let's self-identify ourselves, but yeah, I don't, it is a little bit of a long piece, but I'll try and be quick. Um, it just encapsulates everything that I've been feeling um, for all my life, basically. <laughs> and yeah, Wales is no different in terms of discrimination and racism, because I know there's University of Bath and maybe most people are from England. But yeah, Wales ain't an exception, I can tell you that, even though we've been here for centuries. So yeah, this is my uh, piece. Okay, so I mean, look at me, look at my face. What do you see? What do you see when I say my name, say my race, and still say I'm Welsh, proudly? African roots and Welsh living, that's me. When you think of belonging, identity, Welshness, do you think of me, do you think of my melanated skin, or do you rewrite my identity in a book you've named the other? The colour of my skin is deep, so deep it hurts. Hurts to be judged, judged on the pigment underneath layers and layers of culture and identity. Identity enriched in spices and aromas so strong and rich, it attracts conversations of where I am from conversations entrenched in my daily being, my life, my work, my living. Where am I from? Who am I? I I'm the rose which stings the side of your lips when I say I am from here. Here I grew, I learned, I lived, here is Wales. Where am I from? Do not ask me where I am from, but ask me rather, where am I a local? Ask me what area I'm from, what school I went to, what streets I grew up in, what neighbors I have, and how all of these things have shaped who I am today. Ask me where I am known, known for who I am and not what the color of my skin has made you think I am from. You see, people look at me as the other, sometimes the terrorist and sometimes the helper. You see, the melanin in my skin and the identity that it brings is more than a culture, a country and a flag. It's a melting pot of happiness, joy, culture, language and tradition. A tradition so rich it oozes with aromas of spice, Somali folk dance and camel milk. You see, it baffles me when people say, where are you from, followed by where are you really from? Go back to your country or you do not belong here because your skin colour doesn't look Welsh. I replied with it as the people of the color of my skin and the culture and heritage who were enslaved and took part in your identity, your history and your economy. It's your ancestors that owed a slice of your identity. What do you see when you look at me? Do you see a police officer, a sportswoman, a construction worker, an academic, a a politician? Or do you see oppression, indifference, anger, fear? Tell me, what do you see? You see, I am human, I am Muslim, I am black, I am female and I am me. When you see racism, do you think of the effect it has on my mind, body, and being, or do you jump to the defense of the instigators, the racism deniers, and the accusation starters? Do you get scared to speak up, act up, and then show up to that meeting of support for your dark-skinned colleague or your colleague wearing a headscarf? Living and walking in black skin is, followed, is being followed by security in a government building. It's being told your name is too foreign or too difficult to pronounce for a job interview. Living while being black is being the elephant in the room. It's being told you sound too common. It's being told you speak very good English. How long have you been learning Welsh and when did you move here? What's ironic is to say it's the same black skin that was used to build the building you're now working, the houses you now live in, and the money that now feeds the same mouth that says, that I am less than. I am less than in terms of equality, I am less than in terms of job status, I am less than in terms of equity, but I am more than in terms of empowerment, I am more than in terms of resilience, and I am more than in terms of fighting for my rights. My human rights are the power that strengthen my voice. It is the power that gives me confidence to hold hands with my accomplices, not allies, but also gives me strength to dimmer the light of those with more tools in the box that was created by me. This is the box I call the tower house. Sorry, the powerhouse. It has tools of resistance, resilience and perseverance, but also have small gaps filled with understanding, compassion and empathy. These gaps of compassion, understanding and empathy are easily kept open with acts of kindness and action on anti-racism. Why is it that being anti-racist has become a statement of achievement? Why is it it that people are being waited to be congratulated to be anti-racist? To be anti-racist is to be a good human. Why is it explaining my culture so difficult to people? Why is it when I'm asked to walk through security checks in government buildings, my culture is stripped away from me, but used in funding applications that speak for the middle class? Why do we say that people with darker skin have color in their skin only to tick the diversity box, but not diverse enough to be treated as equal? Injustice in this way may be invisible to so many, visible to others, but impacts so many under the bright light of privilege. To abuse power isn't a privilege. It's not a privilege when you're unaware of how you were born into a privileged lifestyle, taken away from the hand that's feeding you knowledge, watering your ignorant mind with endless education, and at the same time diluting your constant flow of unawareness and clearing your mindset to help widen your narrow path of ignorance. We are living in difficult times where time is needed for those that need it most, where times are too short to be wasted and sacrificed, and where time and time again the wheel of injustice is repeatedly being turned by those unwilling to share their time with those without a watch. Watching the clock day after day, where your fellow human, human beings are bystanders rather than stand buyers. Standing by me in the office of privilege where you're out of is on at 5.01 PM, whilst I sit calculating how many emails have to go through the filter of exploitation and those that clearly have a pay package attached to them. It's realizing that privilege is unearned and equality for all isn't actually equal for all. It's learning that asking questions to fill voids of fear and bridge and indifference. It's avoiding the silences in conversations in training rooms, on bus stops and in shops, in government meetings and on Zoom, but rather viewing the silence as violence. It's It's knowing that silence is being complicit to discrimination. It's knowing that silence plants fear which grows into hate. It's about reshaping those branches of disconnect to ones of unity that's come together today To ask those questions based on fear, ignorance and education, to flip the narrative and be decent human beings to one another, to tackle hate in whichever form it may come in. Let's use reality as a force to dismantle rhetoric and most importantly, let's use our privilege with Thank you.
12: Yeah, like I've, I have like few things to say. I've not attended these kind of events before that much. Um, I am, my name is Baghi. I'm a lecturer at University of Bath and um, I am a part of equality diversity committee over there uh, within our department. Um, that was the first time me actually actively being involved in these things. Um, but yeah, this is like first time I'm attending this kind of event and it's really great. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is that um, so I joined this bath uh, resident group in on Facebook, and I was a bit shocked to see how many um, sorry to say but ignorant people were there. And that th- th- I found that around the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, there was some. Um, articles shared over there and some shocking reactions to that. So that's the first time I found that Bath is not maybe as inclusive as I thought in my head, Uh, maybe because I lived in my bubble of university people, which were quite open-minded. and aware. So yeah, thank you for people who are, maybe not all of you will agree this with me, but I do appreciate white people when they take interest in these kind of Uh, issues because as you can see over here how many white people live in bath and how many are attending over here and you know they the ones that attend are already aware in a way I feel so it's the other ones that are not which are ignorant that should be attending these things because they do for them racism doesn't exist because they never hear it they never you know experience it so um yeah I do appreciate people um who are white that attend these events really. Um, okay, my question was, um, I've experienced racism before and I don't want to talk about it. I, I just don't think I'm comfortable enough yet to talk about it. But my question was about a question that people get asked, where are you from? Now, I'm from India and I have no problem saying where I'm from because I am from India. When people ask me, I'm fine with it. But when I came here to study and I asked this question to a person who looked Indian, so I asked him, and his name sounded Indian, so I asked him, oh, where are you from? Thinking he'll tell me I'm from India, this part of India. And he was very offended and he said, I'm British. And I really didn't know why he had that reaction. So maybe he was British Indian, just put in context and um i guess maybe he had that experience of people asking him where he's from where he's really from and now i understand my, why he may have been offended but it didn't didn't make sense to me back then and to be honest i genuinely i'm sometimes really interested where people are from especially if they look and sound indian i want to know where are they from or maybe some other parts of uh, country like you know world um and I understand that it may be quite um, upsetting for some people who are British, from different, you know, from different um, races, but are British and they get this and they don't like it. But um, I just want this was my question. Is it? Is it like how do I ask these questions? You know, like maybe uh, yeah. I just don't know. Um, I'm I'm not trying to make anyone offended but I am just genuinely interested um, where people are from. So I would like to hear what people have to say.
13: Um, is it okay if I kind of give my answer? So I am um, British Sri Lankan. So I was born and brought up here, but my parents are of Sri Lankan heritage. But um, I suppose the question in itself isn't offensive, being asked, where were you from? if I say then London I'm you know I'm born and brought up in London um I think that generally should be it I think I'm I'm not in offended by the question the question's fine it's the follow-up to the question it's the no but where were you from yeah London but where well where Enfield no but actually where are you from no Enfield um <laughs> No, no, but where were your parents? And so it's the kind of people not believing the answer. So if you tell me, oh, but, you know, um, and I don't know if there's necessarily a, I suppose it's your background from India maybe, or, I mean, and I don't mind sharing my heritage. It's not something I'm ashamed of. Um, But I suppose it's the follow-up to the question that's potentially more offensive than the actual question, where were you from? Because I could ask my white friends where are you from and if they but if they say London I'm not going to go I might say oh North London or South London that may be my elucidation of that question it's not going to be oh but like where in Europe are you actually from um are you you British or are you Irish British do you know it it, that doesn't happen I think that's my um thing so yeah that's just my answer to that
0: i mean i I think it's a a little bit paradoxical and problematic because on the one hand i think you're right it's all about whether one feels okay to share so i know personally i ask a lot of people where what's your heritage often where where your family from and i would mean where you really from as well i would mean that now obviously me asking would have and who i'm asking context would have lots of very different offshoots of that lots of different possibilities and sometimes you don't know. It's, you know. You, sometimes you wouldn't ask it. but I'm always very interested. And the paradox is, on the one hand, we want to celebrate identities such as we say, let's get rid of bame because it gets erases diversity. But on the other other hand, we might not. We might choose not to claim it. And I think the other question one must re- always ask in all of these questions: Why am I offended? Because we can't actually make allowance for anyone's ignorance or anyone's isms. So the question is I would have to ask myself and in each case is why am I offended at that and I I, and I can imagine not many of the answers and I hear about the follow-ups and the expectations and the inability to accept but at the same time we do want to claim our heritage so why not celebrate accept it and share it and allow ourselves not to to and sometimes it will bring cause of problems to individuals, but generally speaking, I think my intent is one of curiosity and celebrating diversity.
7: Um, I feel like for me, I don't really like, cause I've like lived so many different places. So when I think it depends who's asking me the question, but in terms of asking people where they're from, I tend to just don't ask them. I feel like if I get to know somebody on that personal level and they are ready to kind of like explore that with me, they will bring it up and we will talk about it. But usually depending what context we're working in, like if it's just like a uni student, I'm probably never gonna meet again. Like do I really want to know their history and all that stuff about them when I don't feel I have the capacity to kind of like really give that the time and effort that it depends. And I think, I guess to summarize, it depends what you want to do with that information. Like if I want to get to know that person and like really connect with them on a deeper level and their heritage is really important to them, I'll ask them. But if I'm, if I'm just in a meeting and I just want something to talk about, we can talk about it. But for me, I just never ask because usually if people want it to be acknowledged, they will say, and I always ask them, if you want me to include like your race or your gender or identity, or wherever, just tell me. Because again, I always leave it up to the person to decide rather than put them in a position where they feel like they have to tell me because I'm going to um legitimize their blackness or legitimize their heritage and I guess that comes with being a black woman it's like there's this weird thing where you're either not black enough or or you are black but you're not right kind of black so I really want to be careful with asking people because I don't want them for me to feel like I'm calculating whether or not they are black enough so I guess that's kind of how I just avoid it
14: My, my name is Bipple I am probably older than pretty much everyone in this group. So my experiences of racism are quite interesting. It's fascinating hearing the stuff you've said. Fascinating in a horrifying way, because I thought I'd left racism behind 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, but I came from London. Um, when we came to the country, it was... Um, you know racism was a thing and it, it settled down. I moved to Bath life. I find it quite amusing, I, I run a f- quite a few green groups in Bath, you can't get much more middle class white than the environmental groups so I'm the only brown person anywhere around um, and I met Baggy re- fairly recently I think oh my god there's two of us um, but I, I anyway I digress, the it's interesting, all the stuff you're saying, and I really like what Baggy was saying as well about the um, the training, because the potential that I'm seeing from what the things that you have said here, and the effect is it's having, I don't know if you were watching other people's faces and expressions as things were being said, the effect it was having on everyone, I think was just so wonderful. If we take that out there and look, and the, the big problem with that i see in racism and I, I am a little bit naive because i grew up in a culture where you ignore it you pretend it doesn't happen you just work harder so i very rarely used to confront it so it's a different sort of cultural mindset but if we start taking this stuff out there most of the people in bath are not directly racist They do racist things because they don't realise what they're doing. I have quite a lot of really good white friends who say things, and I know that there's no way they mean it in a hurtful or a bad way, but they just don't know. Now, this space that you've created here, if you took this and amplified it and, and started having gradually more and more open things, I think the effect would be extraordinary. I don't know if you noticed that when when the Black Lives Matter movement took off in the U.S. and with all the um, the horrors that happening over there, the council and the MP here really got behind it. So in terms of having power behind what you're trying to do, there are some very very influential people who will 100% back you, um, and I'd certainly like to help. I think it's really good. I think. What you're doing is really, really positive. And if if there's any time to do it, that time is right now.
1: Welcome to Dream Space. Listen, share, dream.
2: Thank you for taking the time to listen. And thank you once again to all those who have shared their stories. Although we have reached the end of this episode, this is not the end of our journey. Bath is a great city, but it's nowhere near perfect. Let this be the start of meaningful change. No one should have to feel less than or unvalued because of their gender, race or sexuality. So let's step up as a community and work towards creating a city that is inclusive of all. If you feel inspired to share your story, our website is going to be open to submissions. We will be sharing everything that's submitted via our social media channels and our online exhibition. I hope you'll take something away from this episode and although it may feel emotionally draining to listen and realise the awful experiences of racism people face on a daily basis, it is important to also reflect and look at the progress that has happened since the protests in the past summer. People are now willing to listen and work towards change. And to tell you the truth, I've never seen this level of engagement before. And I can't say enough how incredible this is for Bath. Speaking about these issues and giving underrepresented groups a voice is so important. But what's even more important is action. And after seeing the compassion, resilience and strength that the people of Bath have shown, I have no doubt that together we will push for the changes that we want to see. If you would like to access our online gallery to revisit some of the stories that you heard or explore more stories on topics of life in a pandemic or the climate emergency, please head to www.thedreamspace.co.uk. You will also have the option to submit your own story here and to subscribe to our newsletter. And finally, I am excited to give you an update on what you can expect from us. So first of all, we believe every story shared with us is important and needs to be heard. So we will be doing our best to ensure that these stories reach as many people as possible. After seeing the impact of our first gatherings, we are looking at hosting some more community gatherings as the need for these spaces is becoming increasingly important with what's happening in the world at the moment. To stay up to date and find out how you can take part please subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for joining us on this episode. It's been great to have you. I hope you're having a brilliant day and wish you all the best for the journey
9: you're on. Goodbye.
1: Welcome to DreamSpace. Listen, share, dream.
9: Dream DreamSpace is a community-led creative project conceived and convened by Good For Nothing in partnership with Wild Labs. It is supported by the National Lottery Community Fund's Emerging Futures Programme. For more information, please visit www.thedreamspace.co.uk
4: Send them your heart So they know that someone cares And their lives
1: Will be stronger and free As God has shown us By turning stone to bread And so we own this land a helping hand We are dreams, pace We are the locals We are the ones who shape the city of Bath So let's start
4: listening There's some hope we're bringing
1: By sharing our own tales Yes, it's true, we'll make a better city Just you and me